0: Uh, it's a great day to be here today to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh this you can hear this pretty loud, right? Because I hear it not coming off the back wall. I'll turn it down just a little bit. And so uh we're here to do today to do that. And uh I asked Jeremy's going to come back next week with us and uh then to preach for us uh, next week. But I asked him he had something else he could do today, and I said, Well that'll be great because we have Lord's Supper uh today and that way uh, I can just do the music and do a message that leads right into the Lord's Supper and uh, we, can, we can have uh, the Lord's Supper today and as we contemplate uh, this morning about what it really means uh, to, about the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so I, I was thinking back on a story, this is a true story, uh, I cannot tell you the names of the people involved, but uh, it's a true story, I know it's a true story. And you see on the front of the table, in most churches that still have the, has the table in front, uh, most of the tables are engraved with something, aren't they? Uh, a phrase that says, this do in remembrance of me. You see, it's even up here on this one. And most churches, especially uh, Protestant Baptist churches, a lot of times will have a table in front, the communion table, the Lord's Supper table, that... Uh, has this engraved on it. This do in remembrance of me. Well, at this one church, uh, the table had been up there for a long time and one young lady decided to ask one of the deacons who donated that table and who are we supposed to remember when uh, we take, uh, when we look up there. Uh, you know, I've served in many churches, but then the deacon said, I don't know, I'll have to find out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's that could be a little concerning, so it made me start thinking. You know, we need to re- realize what all this means. You know, what we do in the ordinances of the Lord's Supper, and uh, that—that's a true story. I, I can't tell you names or, or places. I wish I could tell you the names because the names are really funny. Uh, I like the names that uh, the, the names of these people, uh, but it didn't happen here. It didn't happen here. And uh, but we need to know why we do what we do as Christians. Do you agree? why we have the Lord's Supper, why, why we do the Lord's Supper, why we have baptisms. And uh, these are the two ordinances of the church, that, that, of a Baptist church, two ordinances that we do, the Lord's Supper and uh, the baptism. And we do that because the Lord commanded us to do it. And so we, we do those two things. Um, sometimes when we talk about the Lord's Supper, it's called a lot of different things, the Eucharist. Uh, you know, it's fine to call it that, I would say, because that really just means to give thanks. And when Jesus did it, he said he gave thanks, and then he did it. And that's where the word comes from, Eucharist. But sometimes people think that the Lord's Supper, they may say, without even really realizing what they're saying, is a sacrament. Well, in some churches, they call it a sacrament in some churches. There might be even these two and and five others in some churches, you know, and they're called sacraments. The reason you know, I don't think we use that word. It's because a sacrament, when you talk about sacraments, if you look it up, it should say something like, it imparts grace to you. Well, we don't believe that the Lord's Supper necessarily inserts, uh, uh, imparts grace to you. Grace came from Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary when he died for our sins. You see, that was grace. There's nothing that I feel we can do no, Whatever it is, a ritual or whatever that would impart grace to us, that would make us better standing with God necessarily. No, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us in that correct standing with Christ. It's the death of Jesus, the Son of God, that cleanses us from sin and makes us justified through our faith in him. You see, so these are just some little things about the Lord's Supper that I wanted to clear up. And there's a reason that the table says, do this in remembrance of me. The me is Jesus Christ. And we're going to read about that in just a minute. We're going to read one of the Gospels. um, It's in three of the Gospels, the recording, uh, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, the Last Supper of Christ. And then we're going to skip over to 1 Corinthians and and look at Paul, how he... Uh, spoke about the Lord's Supper to the Corinthians church and how he was actually uh, admonishing them to do it correctly. Uh, he was kind of scolding them in some ways and teaching them how to partake of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. So, first, I want to read out of Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. So, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. This is one of the gospel writers, the, the gospel writer Luke's account of the Last Supper. And when the hour came, he, which is Jesus, reclined at a table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then verse 19. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, saying, The cup, that is poured out for you as a new covenant in my blood. And in the other Gospels, he also tells them to drink this cup in remembrance of him. So that is out of Luke's account of the Lord's Supper. Well, later on, when Paul was ministering to the churches, the church at Corinth was taking the Lord's Supper, but they had had distorted it in many, many, many ways. They had made it a time of really of gluttony, the Lord's Supper, the, the, the Supper that leads into it, which uh, you know, they, they would partake of. Uh, they made it a time of not only gluttony, but a time of getting drunk. And uh, Paul was going to write them. In his first letter, he gives them correction on how to partake of the Lord's Supper. And this is his account there, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses um, 23 through 34. Let's read that scripture. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, "The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it." in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we might not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when he comes together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. So here we see Paul kind of disciplining the church through his words here. They had been partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so here here he's telling them and us that there's a proper way and things that we need to remember when we come to the table of the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. Uh, if I had named this sermon in my outline here, I said a call, of re- a call to remembrance. The Lord's Supper is a call to remembrance, to remember things that Christ has done. And the first thing I want us to remember is we need to remember to look back to the cross. We need to remember to look back to the cross of Calvary. Jesus says that uh, this is my body, in taking the bread, we are called to remember Jesus' body that was broken for us. You see, the Passover meal, that's when Jesus took the opportunity to, to do the first supper here uh, and initiate the, the Lord's Supper. It was a Passover meal. It featured unleavened bread. And, and this, this was, if you look back in Exodus, you see that God commanded the children of Israel to have a celebration once a year, so they could remember when they were called out of exile, in, when they were exiled from Egypt. You see, they were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years of being slaves in Egypt. And when God called them out, you remember the ten plagues and different things? And when God called them out, that tenth plague, he said that, he told the nation of Israel, you need to put blood, take a lamb, and slaughter the lamb and take the blood and put it over the doorpost of your house. And if you do this, the death angel is going to pass by your house. But for any house that doesn't have that, the firstborn of every household, human and animals, was going to die. What a terrible night that was. Because you see, the next morning there was wailing in the streets because of all the death that had occurred. But the Israelites that... Took the blood and put it on their doorposts, killed that lamb, that innocent, spotless lamb, and they put the blood over the doorposts. They were saved. You see, what a wonderful picture of the atonement. And so, uh, you know, the long story is uh, Pharaoh said, Leave, you know, go ahead, you're, you're free to go. And because they had to leave in such haste, they weren't even able to make their bread with yeast. And so from then on, the Lord said, every year, you need to have a celebration commemorating what happened that day in the land of Egypt. And you're to make bread, and it doesn't need to be leavened, no yeast in it, because it was a symbol of two things, really. One, that they had to leave so quickly that they weren't able to yeast their bread. But two, also, leaven in the scriptures is a picture of sin in the Bible. And see, this bread was to be used as, a, as, a, as a, a sermon in itself. And see, when it was broken, it needed to be unleavened because it was going to be a picture of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful picture, isn't it? That's what we're doing here today. Actually, we're taking this, and it's, we do it in remembrance for him. We're here to tell the story and look back at the cross of Jesus, Christ's broken body. You see the unleavened bread here used in the Passover, and you can see a picture right there, don't you? It wasn't the little wafers we have today, individual wafers. And we lose something sometimes in that. See, it was looked like this, some, somewhat like that. That's the kind of manufacturer, too, but it looked like that. You see it had stripes on it, scorch marks. You see those all, all over it? It also had pierced marks in it, didn't it? And what a picture it was when Jesus Christ said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he broke it, and broke it to pieces. It was a picture that they would soon never forget. And it was a picture that God told them to do, often as they do it, remember what had happened to Jesus. Look at that picture, and let me read something for you. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. And you've got to know that that must have been on the disciples' hearts. When Jesus Christ broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Dear church, we need to remember, we need to look back to the cross. Yes, we need to look back to the broken body of Jesus Christ. That's what we'll represent by the blood here, or the, 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 the little wafer, the unleavened bread that we eat. You see, it's a picture of what Christ Jesus has done on the cross to bring salvation to you and to me. Oh, must we never forget that. Amen? But we need to look back to the cross, not only the broken body, but we need to remember Christ shed blood for us. You see, that's what the cup is. Today it has grape juice in it, of course, and it represents the very blood of Jesus Christ. The cup is a new covenant in my blood, Jesus said. In receiving the cup, we are to remember that the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sin and the new covenant that Jesus brought into um, being here at this time of the Passover. You see, the Passover meal featured several cups as they ate and, and celebrated. But this cup that Jesus was talking about here is the cup of redemption. It reminded the Israelites that this, this blood from this lamb that they, they slaughtered and put on the, goal, the post of the house saved their life. This blood redeemed them from the act that was going to happen that night. You see, they were saved because of the blood of that lamb. Well, dear friend, the, the blood that we take here, the, the, the cup that we take here represents the very blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the remission of sin. See, we're redeemed. When Jesus said this is a new covenant, a new covenant in his blood, it's not, it takes away sin from us forever. Not the death for that one night, but the death because of sin. It's taken away because of what Jesus Christ has done. Prophet Jeremiah talks about this new covenant a little bit. And um. Jeremiah 31, this, this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, he says, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his uh, brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Oh, what a wonderful new covenant this is, the covenant in Jesus Christ's own blood. See, this covenant is one that takes part in an inner trans. This new covenant gives the believer an inner transformation that forever redeems us from our sin. Did you see that? When the prophet says, uh, God said, the Lord said, for I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross makes that possible. You see, they would take a lamb every Passover and they would kill the Passover lamb. And the blood was, was put on the altar to, to make amends for the, the sins of the people. But dear friend, that was just a temporary picture of what Jesus Christ was going to one day do when once and for all he shed his blood for the remission of sin. There's an inner transformation that we have in this new covenant. There's an indwelling presence of God to lead the people. And there's also an intimate relationship with God that comes through the blood of Christ, this new covenant in Christ. Hmm. This new covenant. So, dear friend, when we remember today, we look back to the... to the. Uh, the broken body of Jesus. We look back to the shed blood of Jesus. But also, thirdly, I want you to see that we remember Christ's atoning death. It's the third thing we need to remember. You proclaim the Lord's death, he says. While this word, proclaim, is the same word that is translated preach. Do you understand what we're doing here even through this, this service of the Lord's supper, as we're proclaiming? We're preaching the Lord's death until he comes again. We're preaching forgiveness of sin that comes only through the, the, the uh, broken body and shed blood of Jesus. We're preaching a message here today through the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper, we preach a sermon to ourselves and to the unbelieving world. We also glorify God through this powerful act of worship. Dear friend, we're so sometimes... I. Uh, Sometimes people, when they think of worship, they think of music. Music is a part of worship. It's one that's dear to my heart. But that's just a little part of worship. The very act of taking the communion is a wonderful act of worship to the Lord for what he has done for us. So don't forget that we're proclaiming the truth of Christ's death. I want to read Romans 5, verses 6 through 11 for you. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. What a wonderful, wonderful verse, isn't it? That we remember that Christ died so that we could be saved. Christ's atoning death. The Bible tells us that the only way we can find salvation is through Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. We look back to the cross of Christ. We look back and see His broken body. We look back and see His shed blood. We look back and see it as atoning death. But that's not all. We look also ahead. We look ahead to the blessed hope of Christ's return and Christ's reign. We see this in verse 26 of, of 1 Corinthians there. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. While the Lord's Supper does look back to what Jesus did on the cross, it also looks ahead. It looks ahead to the return of Christ and the eternal rule and reign of Christ. I want to share one other thing with you today. We've talked about Passover a little bit, uh, but I want to share with you about the weddings in that day because it's pretty important to, to really understand what's going on in these verses here. The weddings at that time uh, were different than the weddings today, much, much different, and you can remember in the Bible, uh, some times when there was a wedding, even of Mary and Joseph, there was three major parts to the Hebrew wedding in the time of Christ. The first thing that happened was a marriage contract. Of some sort it acquired, it was acquired by the parents of the bride with the parents of the groom or the bridegroom himself they They got together and they decided what they were going to get for giving their daughter away in marriage at that time. Uh, you see, there was a, a contract that came about, and it was a time that was called the betrothal period. They were co- legally considered married after that happened. That contract was was settled upon, but they didn't live together. So the first stage of that was the contract. The second stage is, and, and, and usually in, involved a payment of some sort, didn't it? That that was what happened. They they got paid something. And the second stage of the, the wedding back then was the bridegroom went and prepared a home for the couple to live in. They went to off to prepare the home for the couple to live in. And then this stage, it could have taken up to a year or plus. But at the end of this stage, when the home was ready, there was a great parade. It usually happened at midnight. And then torches and everything, and the, bride, the groom and, and many of his friends would go down the street to the bride's family's house. And when they got there, they would get the bride and sometimes she didn 't know exactly when that was going to happen, so she needed to be ready. her and her bridesmaids needed to be ready for that time and and then he would get the bride and then they'd come to this third stage there's a great time of celebration. Uh, this celebration would last up to a, a week sometimes uh, and this This celebration would many times have a, a, a marriage feast in it. sounds pretty good to me and uh They'd have a marriage feast, and what a wonderful time of celebration it was. You remember, you know, in John chapter 2, the wedding at Canaan, that's kind of what that exactly was. That was this stage of the wedding. And that second stage, you know, the, the the, the parade and the torchless parade. In Matthew 25, we see the parable of the ten virgins. You remember that? Five were ready and five weren't ready. That was that second stage. But these were the three stages, the contract, the preparation of the house, and the the wonderful parade uh, to the bride's house, and then the great celebration and the marriage supper at at the time. Um, And I tell you all that, those three things, because it's kind of important when we look at this looking ahead stage. Looking ahead to Christ's return and his reign and rule. You see, the time of remembrance is not just looking back. It's Jesus said, We're also to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Well, dear friend, I don't know if you put it together, but when we look back at the cross, that was the contract. Very similar to the wedding contract. You see, Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary bought redemption. There's nothing that we can do to add to that. Jesus Christ is the reason I'm saved. It has nothing to do with my goodness or anything I can do to to attain that. No, it's all because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. He died for my sin. He shed his blood so that I could be redeemed. But That second stage, I I preached not too long ago back uh, with you in um, in Matthew 25, didn't I? Oh, it reminds me, that stage where he goes to prepare a house for us. Uh, John 14, you remember that? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you see that, church? We're in that stage right now, but that means we have a whole lot to look forward to, don't we? As Christians, we have to look forward to Christ's return, to receive us to himself, and we have a lot to look forward to in his rule and reign as Lord of our life forever and ever. And then the great celebration, the marriage supper. Many people believe that that's what Jesus is referring to when he says, I will not eat this again until I'm with you in heaven. You understand? And so we have to look forward, we need to anticipate Christ's return. Oh, dear friend, we need to be like those wise maids and be ready, have our lamps trimmed and have oil in our lamps. Signifies the spirit, and I would believe we need to have the spirit of God in our life. We need to be sa- saved. We need to have assurance of our salvation as we anticipate Christ's return from glory. Hebrews nine twenty seven to twenty eight says this, and just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Praise God. Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44, says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know the hour or day that the Lord is coming, but know this, that the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left this house to be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you you will not expect. Dear friends, as we look forward to the return of Christ, we need to be ready for his return. We need to anticipate Christ's return. We need to also anticipate Christ's rule. Matthew 26, verse 29 says, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, what a day that will be of celebration wanted. When the Lord comes back and receives the church into himself, it'll be a wonderful time of celebrating all that Christ has done in our life. You see, when we come to remember the Lord's Supper, we look back to the cross. We look ahead to the return and reign of Christ. But there's a third thing. We need to look also within us. We look within for self-examination. This is what Paul's telling them to do. He says, let a man examine himself. While taking the Lord's Supper, we are instructed to look back, we look ahead, but it's important to look within. We're to look within to see uh, if there's things that we need to make right with God before we partake of the Lord's Supper. We need to honestly examine ourselves to make sure we are in the right spiritual condition to partake of this sacred observance. This examination is an honest appraisal of what we see as we are conducting ourselves in a way that honors the Lord The idea is to examine yourself and respond to God's correction and then partake of the Lord's Supper. This is definitely not to keep people away because they feel uh, they don't deserve salvation. None of us deserve salvation. But praise God, the only thing is we get it because of what Christ has done. But we need to look in our heart to see if there's things that we need to take care of before we partake first thing I want you to see is we need to check for assurance of salvation. Here in our church, like most Baptist churches, we we celebrate kind of an open communion in that it doesn't matter if you're a member of our church to partake of the Lord's Supper, but it does matter if you're a saved, blood-bought believer in Christ. You see, only those that have assurance of their salvation should participate in the Lord's Supper. Growing up in church, I remember when I was too young to partake of the Lord's Supper and uh, my mom and dad would explain to me why that was. Uh, because I haven't got to that place in my life yet that I, had, that I had asked for forgiveness of my sin. Dear friends, today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you do not have assurance of your salvation, Christ died on the cross so that you can be saved. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve because of our sin is a death, just like that that spotless lamb that died and they put the the blood over the mantle. Just like Jesus Christ died because the wages of sin is death. There had to be death. Someone had to die. And dear friend, Jesus Christ died in our place so that we could be saved. As we, before we take the Lord's Supper, make sure that you know without a shadow of a doubt that Christ Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, If we confess with, our, with your mouth that the Lord Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is now no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Dear friend, you need a call today on the name of the Lord. Trusting Him for your salvation this morning if you haven't done that already and then partake of the Lord's Supper the second thing I want you to see is there also check not only for your assurance of salvation check for a spirit of unity look in your heart and see if there's a spirit of unity in your heart today if we went back right before we started reading the first Corinthians Paul says that I think I put it here actually yeah I did 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 and 18, just before what we read, says this, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Man, that's a a, a tough verse right there, isn't it? When they came together, it wasn't for the best, it was for the worst, Paul says. And he's not condemning, he's not uh, commending them, he's actually going to condemn them for their actions here. And then he's verse 18, he says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. You see, dear friend, Paul wants them to examine themselves to make sure, one, that they're saved, but make sure, too there are no uh, spirit of disunity in them. To the check for a spirit of unity. Ah, uh, dear friend, this is important. This is one reason uh, Paul decided to write them and this, and tell them about the Lord's Supper. Check for assurance of salvation. Check for a spirit of unity. The third thing is check for a servant's heart. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have a servant's heart. If you claim to be a Christian, which means Christ-like, you should have a servant's heart. Christ was a servant to all, wasn't he? We don't have to go much further back than the cross, do we? When he died in our place, he gave us something we could never achieve on our own. He served us. But dear friends, right at this time, we see these people in Corinth, and we've got to look at ourselves today, Many of them didn't have a servant's heart. There was people going hungry in the supper, while others were filling themselves to gluttony. The poor weren't even being served. You see, it was it was not a good situation. Here we see Paul addressing this issue. We're to have a servant's heart. Dear friends, right before the Lord's Supper was initiated, Jesus Christ taught the... Another lesson to the disciples, didn't he? As he got down, and the, the very Son of God and Son of Man washed the disciples' feet. It was a strong picture of service to others. And he said, I have not come to, serve, uh, to be served, but to serve. You see, if you're a Christian, we're to have a servant's heart. Luke 22-24, through 24, right after the, the Luke's account of the Lord's Supper, the very next verse that says this, a dispute also arose among them of which of them was regarded to the greatest. They were, who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom? They had just took the Lord's Supper. But who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? They were arguing about that. Dear friend, it's a natural thing to look out for number one. But it's not a Christ-like thing. And we're to have a servant's heart around the table of God. The, the last thing I want you to see, check for your, your assurance of salvation. Check for a spirit of unity. Check for a servant's heart. And then check for a selfless love. A selfless love. Put others first. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty 20-22. When you come together as... It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one who goes ahead for his own meal, one goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you, shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. And then he says, how to eat the Lord's Supper, how to partake. And then the very last part of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. See, they were, were, it was like a big potluck that they ate all that they brought and everything else before anybody else got there. Uh, They were being selfish, not selfless. So now, guys, as we come, church, as we come before the Lord's Supper, that's a lot to think about, isn't it? It's a lot to think about looking back to what Christ has done for us on the cross, looking ahead to his return and being ready for his return and his Christ's rule and reign, but looking inside and examining ourselves. So right now I want us to go into a time of singing an invitation song before we partake of the Lord's Supper so that we can honestly examine our hearts and minds. Know that we're ready and prepared to partake of the Lord's Supper. So let's stand and I'll pray, and then we're going to sing. And you just pray to the Lord and prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper today. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. We thank you for this opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, the great ordinance of our church. Lord, I pray that even now we would examine ourselves. You would show us things that we need to do to make ourselves more like you in this time. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Jesus paid it all.